we took a poll, most everyone here can agree that the last few years, continuing on till even this last week, there's a lot of bizarre things that are unfolding across our nation. Uh, just this week, I was reading that there's multiple court cases pending state laws to keep biological males from participating in female sporting events. Now, who would have thought that five years ago or ten years ago? It's strange. This week I read that there's a university professor in Ohio who was rebuked by his supervisors for not using a student's preferred pronouns. He went to court and was awarded $400,000 for being rebuked unneedlessly or in error. And you think that's a one-time event. A similar event happened in the state of Kansas with a middle school teacher. Same thing, was awarded $95,000 after she was rebuked for not using this preferred pronoun. And when we look at these and many other happenings, these are just two examples. You could pull, you could pull a lot. A lot of words come to mind about our world. Um, <clears throat> Unprecedented would be one. Crazy would be another one. Or perhaps my favorite, utterly foolish. We have a society that is changing the meaning of words right before our eyes. With the purpose of meeting an agenda. And that agenda is antithetical to the truths that are found in the Bible. Redefinitions, or maybe we could say non-definitions of words are becoming commonplace. The purpose of this is to support a conclusion, and the user is willing to defy logic, reason, even science to achieve their purpose. For example, we are told that a man can, be cho- can choose to become a woman. But then ask them what a woman is, and they balk on defining that. Not because they don't have an idea, they don't want to define it. There's a paper I read. I had to read it a couple times just to make sure I read it right. The title of this paper is, Evolution is a Fact and a Theory. And within that it says, within the article it says, in the American vernacular, theory often means imperfect fact. And fact does not mean absolute certainty. So what is a fact? What is the theory? These are but two examples of words being redefined or devalued or Maybe I could use the word, I don't know if there is a word, Jim would know because he's the English guy, undefined. Let's take a word and undefine it. And once that happens, you lose the risk of losing any meaning altogether. So how do you devalue the impact of a word? Well, a few things come to mind. One would be, well, let's argue against that meaning. One is, let's overuse that word so much that it becomes meaningless. We redefine it, or we might neutralize it, and I'm sure there are other ways as well. And all of these things are in play. 
Examples of redefining or devaluing words are everywhere. For example, marriage. Marriage is defined differently now than it has been. Or gender. Or as we just saw, even the word theory. When you get into politics, <laughs> political speeches, you see it everywhere. Everywhere. In the political scene, words are used so flippantly with no real meaning that it is dizzying to the listener. And it's to use words that everybody thinks they know the meaning of, but use them in such a way that you don't have a clue what they're saying. A perfect example is this one quote, and I'm going to not tell you who it was. Come up to me privately, I will. But um, this is a quote from a politician. Quote, We know that there are known knowns. There are things we know we know. There are also known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are things we know we don't know. But there are also unknown unknowns. The ones we don't know, we don't know. Any clue what he's saying? I don't. We've all heard a politician's answer a question. And the answer is designed to use words whose meaning is known, but they are so ambiguous that it is almost impossible to tell what their answer answered. But this redefining or this devaluing or using words of total ambiguity is not relegated to the social or the political scene. Cults have been doing this to biblical or Christian words for centuries. Decades. They give their own unique definitions, allowing them to change their true meaning. I had someone tell me one time, you know, they're so close to the truth, it's scary. And the reason he thought that is because they redefined every word and he didn't know what they were really saying. But also within the ranks of Christian, or shall I say quasi-Christian, which are non-believers that mask themselves as believers... There are words used that one time had a clear understanding, but the use has become fuzzy. Clarity has been lost. They can mean multiple things or they can mean nothing or almost nothing. The original value of the word has been cheapened. The word I want to discuss today needs to be clearly understood, clearly defined. It is a word that all of us, everyone here, has heard Thousands of times. But it's frequently used in such a nondescript manner that it has lost its potency, its impact, and its beauty. What's the word? Gospel. The word gospel. Well, first, how has the word been abused? We could go on for a while, but just just to give it a little bit of, of context here. It's being used in a plethora of ways. First of all, you've all heard the term prosperity gospel. By definition, at its core, the prosperity gospel is a health and wealth gospel that teaches God rewards increasing levels of faith with greater amounts of wealth. The gospel is pursued with these rewards. Prosperity gospel. Then there's books out there. 
Some of you might have seen this book. It's been it's, a long time ago it was written, The Gospel According to Peanuts by Charles Swartz. Then there's this, if, if, if you're into this sport, there's the book The Gospel of Golf by a guy named John Harry. There's this another book called The Gospel of Inclusion. I wouldn't recommend you put that into a Bible study. There's another one called The Gospel According to the Sun. You think, oh, well, maybe that's something. It was written by a guy named Norman Mailer. And this book fuses fact and fiction to create indelible portraits of such figures as Marilyn Monroe, Gary Gilmore, and Lee Harvey Oswald. And in the leaf it says, it's an informed and believable work of fiction of what may have been going on through the mind of Jesus during his epic ministry. The gospel of the Son. Then we have some other things. <clears throat> you ever heard the term full gospel? Well, what's partial gospel? Because that's what they're implying. Basically, it referring to a fourfold aspect of the gospel, including the sign gifts. Uh, I found this on one cult's website. It says the gospel of our heavenly father is the gospel is our heavenly father's plan of happiness. That's the gospel. Then we have the place probably we hear this term a lot is in music. Gospel music. Pretty much any style of music with something about God in its theme. Within the gospel music there's designations like <clears throat> A gospel quartet, southern gospel, big band gospel. I have a CD, big band gospel. Um, I know CDs old stuff, old school now. But anyway, there's there's albums that come out: gospel 2018, gospel 2019, gospel 2022. There's gospel music awards. This makes your head spin. There's so many of them. The Stellar Gospel Music Awards, the Crown Gospel Music Awards, the BMI Trailblazers of Gospel Music Awards, the BMI Gospel Songwriter of the Year, the GMA Dove Awards, GMA is a Gospel Music Association, and I'm sure I've missed some. Everywhere, gospel, 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 what's it mean? Now, just a few lines of the number one, on, on one site, the number one gospel song of 2022 starts out like this. This is the gospel song. Here's the words. I'll never be more loved than I am right now wasn't holding you up. So there's nothing I can do to let you down because it doesn't take a trophy to make yourself proud. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Oh, going through a storm, but I won't go down. I hear your voice carried in the rhythm of the wind to call me out. You would cross an ocean so I wouldn't drown. You've never been closer than you are right now. That's the first five or six lines. And the song goes on, by the way, for nine minutes and 57 seconds. Okay? I'm not going to read you all the lines. But the word gospel is just lost. There are those who also are seeking to change socially and promote the gospel as societal change. Somehow thinking that that's the purpose of what they call the gospel or a social gospel. 
The word gospel is frequently used with very little thought as to its meaning or its value. It, becomes, it has become commonplace to use it in such general terms by those who have misrepresented it or perverted it that many don't even know what the true gospel is. One person wrote this, quote, It is a matter for some concern that some books seem to assume that every Christian is clear about what the gospel is. Experience suggests that this assumption is poorly based and that there is a great deal of confusion among believers about what the gospel is. The article went on to state this, Such confusion about the gospel is no small matter since it is the essential belief for one to be saved. But sadly, there are many professing Christians who take the liberty to change, even replace the gospel message with a message of their own. Sometimes by adding too much non-gospel information to the gospel. J.I. Packer wrote, The result of these omissions is that part of the the biblical gospel is now preached as if it were the whole of that gospel, and a half-truth masquerading as the whole truth becomes a complete untruth. To change the gospel is to destroy its beauty, to, to, to destroy its message, and we need not to let anything alter that message. Now, if you want to turn to Galatians chapter 1, it's not up there on the screen, so you might have to turn to it, with these things called books, okay? Galatians 1, verse 6 to 9, the Apostle Paul pointed out that this is not something new. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before and now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. All this begs the question, what is the gospel? What do we need to hold on to with such vigor that we do not lose sight of what it is and turn to a different gospel? Well, the word gospel, if we look how it's used in Scripture, it's found 93 times all of them in the New Testament, 21 times in the Gospels were Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and 72 times in the remaining books of Acts to Revelation. A few examples of how it's used. We're not going to read all 93 of them. My time would be gone. Acts 8.25. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 1 Corinthians 1.17 and 18 
For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the, word, let, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's look at Mark 1, 1. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that statement is also made in Mark sixteen fifteen, where Jesus said, go, to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. <clears throat> now, as many of you may know, gospel is the word in Greek, euangelion which means good news or good tidings. And it was also used in the Roman world. It was used in the Roman world to describe the actions of the emperor. But the good news or the good tidings of Scripture has a lot of components in adequately telling others or proclaiming the gospel to the whole creation. With this command that we have, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, we need to understand what the gospel is and what it is not so we can proclaim what is accurate and truthful. There are so many attacks on this word alone that it's it's staggering. And it's attacked from without and from within. And as I was preparing for this, I ran across 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. In the middle of that passage, I think it's in verse 3, it says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And then through verse 4, there is a description of what the people will be like. And as you probably expect, the description is not flattering. But also when you read those verses, they very clearly describe a world that's very similar to what we have today. Then in verse 5, we read this about the people. It says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. 2 Timothy 3.5, it says, they have the appearance of godliness. One person wrote this about that portion of verse 5. He says, This is the age of religious rebels, talking about our day. Men and women who have the outward appearance of godliness, but deep down in their hearts, they are filled with sin and deceit. Religious rebels will ask all the right questions, but watch their actions because they will follow all the wrong answers. They may go so far as to quoting Scripture, but their hearts will be far from God and even farther from His Word. Now that's a sobering but sadly true claim. We have that today. So, how is the gospel misrepresented? Here are just a couple examples, just to kind of put some meat to the bone. One church here in town, they have a sign that reads this. It's in their church as you walk in. Be the church. Protect the environment. Care for the poor. Forgive often. Reject racism. 
Fight for the powerless. Share earthly and spiritual resources. Embrace diversity. Love God. Enjoy this life. That's, that's what they want you to see and read as you walk in. Then on their mission statement, they say this. As a progressive Christian community, we strive to actively reflect God's love as we care for one another and engage in worship, education, inclusive hospitality, and compassionate action for social justice. We believe that the persistent search for God produces an authentic relationship with God, engendering love, strengthening faith, dissolving guilt, and giving life purpose and direction. We believe that each person is unique and valuable. It is the will of God that every person belong to a family of faith where they have a strong sense of being valued and loved. We believe that no matter who, no matter what, no matter where we are on life's journey, notwithstanding race, gender, sexual orientation, class, or creed, we all belong to God and to one worldwide community of faith. We're not going to put that in our mission statement, Jim. Is that the gospel? I mean, there's good elements in there, you know, statement. That's not the gospel. Now, there's another church in town that says this. It says, this church is a school of love where we learn to love God, one another, and ourselves as cre- in creation as Jesus teaches. Our mission is that of the entire church to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our mission focus is to disciple, serve, provide resources to children and families in our community. Okay, is that the gospel? There's another church here in town that last August had a five-part series, uh, message series, titled, and each, each, each week was different, The Gospel According to the Beatles. I listened to one of them. Yeah, yes, that's the rock and roll group, the Beatles. I listened to one of them. I wasted, well, I wasted, I used half hour of my life, I'll never get back. But, and week one was talking about the Beatles song, Help. I'm not going to sing it, okay? And all he talked about was asking others for help. He didn't even mention turning to God for help. And that's what he talked about. Week two, which I did not listen to, was about All You Need Is Love. That song. I didn't listen to that one, like I said. And for your information, these clever, and I put that in quotes, sermon title series, you can find them all over the place. They're not abnormal. Is that the gospel? The gospel according to the Beatles? And their song, Help, and All You Need Is Love? A 2006 Times poll found that, by the way, among what they defined as American Christians, 31% expose the, expose the idea that if you give your money to God, God will bless you with more money. 61% agree that it is more general the idea that God wants people to be prosperous. 
And it's possible to trace the origins of the American prosperity gospel to the tradition of new thought, which was a 19th century spiritual movement with extreme pagan unorthodox leaders like Ralph Waldo Emerson. And this thought held that the divinity of the individual human being and the priority of the mind over matter. In other words, if you could correctly channel your mental energy, you could harness its material results. And they've turned that into the prosperity gospel. Then there there are the incessant ramblings of televangelists that use the word gospel with such great frequency in every context imaginable. They never define it, but they seem to include all things that they want to promote as the gospel. They say, we go to other countries and present the gospel. Of course, if you look at what they state here and they state there, it's all about planting seeds of faith. So they've used the word seed and redefined it. And then you will get a blessing. So they've redefined blessing because that means you get more money back. Planting seeds is giving them money. And this is what's happened to the word gospel. Now, probably all of us have heard at one time or another in our life this quote. I have heard it many times. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. What about that? After all, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Is this the gospel? Well, it's a piece of it, but it's only a small slice of the gospel. Remember Jesus' words in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So what are we to proclaim? The gospel according to the Beatles? A school of love where we learn to love others and ourselves? To protect the environment, to care for the poor, to forgive often, to reject racism, to fight for the powerless? To enjoy this life, to be blessed by God. Those are little slices. And you wouldn't say, well, don't do that. But that's not the gospel. Is this what Jesus was saying? Is this why he came to this earth? Well, we read in Mark 10.45 a little bit of why Jesus came. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. Now the gospel, if it's properly stated, the gospel is the greatest message you will ever hear. R.C. Sproul had a question and answer session one time and he was asked, what is the gospel? He understood it would be the greatest message you will ever hear and his response is this, it's quite long but it's, it's worth reading. There is no greater message to be heard than that which we call the gospel. But as important as that is, it is often given to massive distortions or oversimplifications. People think they're preaching the gospel to you when they tell you you can have a purpose for your life or you can have meaning to your life or that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. All of those things are true. 
And they're all important, but they do not get to the heart of the gospel. He went on to say, the great misconception in our day is this, that God isn't concerned to protect his own integrity, that he's a kind of wishy-washy deity who waves a wand of forgiveness over everybody. No. For God to forgive you is a very costly matter. It costs the sacrifice of his son. So so valuable was that sacrifice that God pronounced it valuable by raising him from the dead so that Christ died for us. He was raised for our justification. So is the gospel something objective? It is the message. Excuse me. So the gospel is something objective. It is the message of who Jesus is and what he did. And it also has a subjective dimension. How are the benefits of Jesus subjectively appropriated to us? How do I get it? The Bible makes it clear that we are justified not by our works, not by our efforts, not by our deeds, but by faith and faith alone. The only way you can receive the benefit of Christ's life and death is by putting your trust in him and in him alone. You do that, you're declared just by God. You're adopted into his family, you're forgiven of all your sins, and you have begun your pilgrimage for eternity. That was Sproul's answer. We need to understand that the content of the gospel is not something that is found in a verse, all by itself, complete, or a specific passage of the Bible, or a nice slogan, or you can't find it in a bumper sticker either. There are summaries of parts of the gospel message found in a few verses, but the whole of Scripture is God's revelation to present to us the gospel. The message of the Bible is the message of the gospel, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. Yes, the message of the book of Numbers is important. So is Habakkuk as is Judges, as is Mark, as is Romans. God did not give us books in the Bible as fillers. He did not waste his efforts giving us a section of his word that does not fit into his gospel. This is the gospel. This contains the gospel from cover to cover. Mark 1.14 calls it the gospel of God. Everything we need to know about life with God can be found in the pages of the Bible. If we would have needed to know anything else, guess what? God would have told us. Now, today there seems to be an innumerable number of people who call themselves Christians who have claimed, who have claimed to have been spoken to by God. They promote what revelation that they have had or think they've had. In essence, they are saying this. Well, God needed to say something more than he gave us here. He, he needed to complete it. He didn't get this all complete. And guess what? He told me. Now I get to tell you what he told me. Now there... <clears throat> The undertone to all that is, (laughs) I'm pretty special. Because God told me that. 
all this new information because the Bible isn't sufficient. The Bible, they say, doesn't lead us to the full gospel, the true, the complete gospel. Yes, it does. You know, one extremely so-called Christian writer today wrote in the introduction of her book, quote, The following year, I began to wonder if I, too, could receive messages during my times of communion with God. I have been writing in my prayer journals for years, but that was one-way communication. I knew God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. She yearned for more. Is Scripture not complete enough for us? Is there a new part of the gospel we need to get from a different source other than the Bible? Is the gospel as presented in the Bible insufficient? That's exactly what she's saying. And anybody that says, I got this special revelation, that's what they are saying. That scripture is lacking or it's incomplete. Personally, I would say that those who yearn for more really don't understand the Bible to begin with. They have a weak and incomplete view of the Bible and the gospel. The sad part about this one person and many others could be, we could put in the same boat is 30 million plus people agree with her because they buy her books and her products. And she keeps on putting out more products because the first extra stuff wasn't enough. So now she got more extra stuff and more extra stuff. And whatever these people get out of these books is not a more complete gospel. It's a cheaper gospel. And that's what they're getting. Remember, when God gave us his word, he did not forget to give us something we need. He did not to forget to give us something we yearned for. Now think about it. Oh, man, I... I I got the completed canon. I forgot this one part. Well, I'm going to go to Steve over here and I'm going to say, Steve, you know, this is the part I forgot to put in here. I mean, it's absurd. But that's what they're saying. Oh, by the way, they make a nice profit in the process too, but that's something different. Remember 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17 says this, which interestingly comes right after the passage we were just in. But understand this, in last days there will come times of difficulty. Well, a few verses after that it says this, the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. The scripture equips for every good work. It is not incomplete. And those who think it is are completely missing the reason for God's revealed word. It is to present the gospel that has been fully presented in scripture and nothing else needs to be given that will enhance it or make it better. What God has revealed is sufficient and complete. 
I might have said that two or three times. I might say it two or three more times. That's okay. I say it so I can get it through my head too. Nothing else can improve on what we have been given. You know, Charles Spurgeon said this, It is the whole job of the whole earth to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. I like his quotes, especially the ones that are short that he doesn't use big words that I can understand. But it is the whole job of the whole earth, of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. Let's all present this gospel. The true good news that those dying spiritually, or as someone pointed out after the first service, those who are dead spiritually, desperately need to hear. R.C. Sproul added, he said, The gospel is called the good news because it addresses the most serious problem that you and I have as human beings. And that problem is simply this. God is holy and he is just and I am not. And at the end of my life, I'm going to stand before a just and holy God and I will be judged. And I will be judged either on the basis of my own righteousness or lack of it or the righteousness of another. Now, I've said a lot of things so far about the gospel, mainly about how it is is inaccurately portrayed, poorly or inadequately presented. And I can't stand here and just say, okay, that's it, let's go. It is said that those who learn to look for counterfeit bills, counterfeit currency, learn to spot the counterfeit by understanding what the real looks like. By knowing the genuine, they can spot the counterfeit. We can learn to spot the fake gospel by knowing the genuine. And we learn about the genuine from the Bible, God's revealed word. And what prompted a lot of my thoughts about speaking on this subject when Jim asked me if I could do it a while back was a message given at the 2022 Shepherds Conference a year ago, and he was there, I was not, by Vody Bacham. And he had this message, and he closed the message with what is one of the most complete yet succinct definitions of the gospel that I have ever heard. I will present this to you mostly as he presented it, with additions of Bible references to show where these biblical truths came from. And I hope and I trust this brief summary of the gospel of God or the gospel of our salvation, or the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is called that way in different parts of Scripture, comes through to you as clearly as it did to me. This is the gospel that we need to present to those who are lost, to those who are dead. This is the gospel that changes lives. This is the gospel that God presented in His Word. So here we go. The gospel. God created the world, Genesis 1. And God created man, and he put man in the garden to keep the garden, Genesis 2. And he gave the man a command. And he held that man to perfect, perpetual obedience. And to that command, he promised him life if he kept it and death if he did not. 
and he didn't keep it. He ate, and because he ate, because of that one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, Genesis 3. And everyone born from that man through ordinary generation inherited man's sin nature, Romans 5. And because of that sin nature, sins proceed from it, Jeremiah 17. And our world is broken because of that sin. And we stand guilty before a holy and a righteous God, Hebrews 4. And we know that he's holy, Revelation 3. And we know that he is righteous, Psalm 97. And we crave justice, but the problem is that if God gives us justice, we all die, Romans 3. And so that God in his goodness and in his mercy sent forth his son, Galatians 4, who was not born of ordinary generation. He was born of a virgin, Matthew 1. Yes, the virgin birth matters. Because if he's born of ordinary generation, he's born in sin. But because he's not born of ordinary generation, he is not born in sin. He is clean of sin. His record is clean. And he keeps his record clean and obeys God's law. And because he's fully God and fully man, John 1, 1 Corinthians 15, he obeys the law of God on our behalf in his active obedience. And then in his passive obedience, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5. All we like sheep had gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way, and, but God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53. And Christ died for our sin once for all, the just for the unjust, Romans 3. And God imputes our sinfulness to him, and he nails our sinfulness to the tree, 1 Peter 2. And Christ died and raises again on the third day for our justification, Acts 2. And there is another imputation. The righteousness of Christ is actually imputed to us so that God can be both just and the justifier of the one who places faith in Jesus Christ, Romans 3. And that faith demonstrates repentance of sin and leads to salvation, 2 Corinthians 7. So that all who come to Christ may enter in, Hebrews 4. So that all who place faith in Christ might be saved, but not only saved, sanctified. Because he's the firstborn of many brethren, Hebrews 2. We're justified and we're adopted into the family of God, Romans 8. And we're sanctified and as his children we begin to bear the family resemblance and we're further sanctified through this life by the very same gospel that saves us, Hebrews 10. Until one day, when it's all said and done, we're just not saved from the penalty of sin, Romans 6. We're not just saved from the power of sin, 1 Corinthians 15, but one day we're glorified and saved from the very presence of sin, Revelation 21. That is the gospel. 
And that's the gospel we need. And that's the gospel that's more than enough. Let's do what Charles Spurgeon said. It's the whole job of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. Let's preach the whole gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us the whole gospel in your word. Forgive us for trying to change it or add to it or cheapen it. Help us to protect this with everything we have. Proclaim it with everything we have. Looking for the lives that are changed because you have adopted them as sons. May you receive all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.